1: This is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs show. I'm Heather Vale, and joining me is Alina Evans, Area Director for the Boys and Girls Clubs of Southern Nevada, where she's been positively influencing thousands of youth for almost 10 years. As summer begins, it's time for the annual Boys and Girls Club Summer Program. Alina, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you so much, Heather. I'm super excited to be a part
1: of the show. Awesome. So for the listeners who aren't familiar with the Boys and Girls Clubs, it's hard to imagine, but let us know exactly what the Boys and Girls Clubs of Southern Nevada is.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we are in aftercare facility. Um we also have our summer program and our winter break programs. We offer a safe and positive environment where kids and youth can come and participate in our life-changing programs. The main goal of what we do is we really want to try to enable all youth to reach their full potential as productive, caring and responsible citizens. And and while we do that, we want to make sure we're building supportive relationships, you know, with our caring adults as well as they get the opportunity to build relationships with their peers.
1: Nice. Okay. So when does the summer program run?
2: Yeah. So the summer program is going to run from May 23rd all the way until August 4th.
1: All right. That's awesome. So what exactly happens during the summer program?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So during the summer program, we are open from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. And basically what we'll do is we would have activities that are based around our five pillars, which is going to be, you know, our sports and recreation, arts, you know, character and leadership, sports and recreation and healthy lifestyles.
1: Okay. And what about field trips? Do the kids get to go outside and, and kind of explore different places? (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, we our field trips are going to be included within our summer programs. And so with our field trips, they're going to be tied into for our teens, they're going to get the opportunity to go on career exposures as well as do college tours and then for our kids, they will take field trips that are based on our fun thing programming throughout the summer.
1: Okay, perfect. Now, I know you have programming for the kids and you have programming for the teens. What's the difference in the summer program for the different age groups?
2: Yeah. So with our teens, our our, our teens have a different membership. They have an annual membership. So that is $20 for the entire year. So that will cover them from January all the way until December. That's going to range from ages 13 to 18. And then with our youth program, that is going to range for our six to 12 year olds. So it's two complete different programs. So teens have their own their own rooms inside of boys and girls clubs that are separated for the rest of our youth program so our team programs will get team programming and then our youth will get our youth programming all that all fall within what we do
1: okay and you have a bunch of different locations a bunch of different clubs throughout the valley how does the programming differ from club to club
2: so it, it doesn't, right? And that's the greatest thing is that people are like, well, is this club better than that club? Did the program different? No, all of our, our, our clubhouses offer the same thing, the same programs, the same opportunities. They're all fun. Now, I will say the only thing is we have a few clubhouses that don't have team programs, but the, those clubs that don't have team programs, there is a club within 10 to 15 minutes away that is near that club that will offer that team program.
1: Okay, perfect. Now, if the summer program's open from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., that's kind of almost like a summer camp experience. So how does the Boys and Girls Club summer program differ from other summer break options, summer camps and that kind of thing?
2: No, absolutely. I mean, I just think that, you know, one one thing is I want to say our price is the best in town. And, and we really, our goal is to really set our youth up for success, right? We want them to be versatile in what they do. We have our themes that incorporate, you know, our field trips, and then we have a great environment and staff that really, truly just care about what we do and that believe in our mission. And we are looking to create this optimal club experience for every single kid that walks in our doors each and every day.
1: Okay. And is it a full commitment from the end of May through to August, or can they pick and choose different weeks, go on family vacation, come back and that kind of thing?
2: Yeah no thanks Heather that's a that's a great question. So there isn't a full commitment, right? So with the boys and girls club, let's say hey, you're getting ready to go out of town on Thursday and Friday. Your kid can come just for Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. There's no guarantee that they have to be there the entire summer. If you know you're going to be out of town for a month cuz you're going to go see grandma and grandpa, it is truly up to you I think which also makes it great is that you have the opportunity when you can come and attend the boys and girls club. Obviously, we want kids coming every single day. But we know that just isn't possible for everyone.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned it's the best price in town, basically, for these kinds of summer programming. What are the approximate costs associated with attending the summer program?
2: Yeah, so our summer program, it is, well, first off, I want to say that we do offer a child care assistance program. So we want to make sure that our kids have the opportunity for those that can't afford that we can potentially get them on our CCA program. And then we also offer scholarships. So always our first goal when anyone comes into the Boys and Girls Club is, hey, do you qualify for our CCA program? And then next, what we'll do is if if you don't, the price is going to be $80 a week per child. That's yeah. it? Yep, that is it. $80. That includes food, right? We have a great partnership with Three Square. They'll get two meals a day. That includes their field trip. That includes them getting the opportunity to participate in all of our programs and any extracurriculars that we do.
1: Well, that's fantastic.
2: Teens are free. I just wanted to just... (laughs) What?
1: what The teens are free? So the $20 a year that you mentioned and that's it?
2: So if that's it for the teens. So they don't have a weekly rate like the youth would do for the summer. So once they get that 20, they're basically free for the entire year.
1: (laughs) Okay. I know what my 14-year-old's going to do. Now, he used to go to one of the boys and girls clubs when he was younger, but he hasn't (laughs) gone back since being a teen. I think I'm going to send him there for at least a month.
2: (laughs) Oh, yes, please do. And right now, (laughs) one thing that we're really trying to focus on right now is workforce development. So we want to make sure our teens understand that, hey, you know, college might not always be the option for everybody, but we will make sure that you are prepared to go into the work world.
1: That's fantastic. So we have programs
2: that are based around workforce development that we
3: are doing.
1: Now, oh, for that prize, I mean, you're right. You can't beat that. That's absolutely amazing. And that's why I've been here for so long, because I
2: truly just believe what we do and the vision that the organization has for our community here out in Southern Nevada.
1: Yeah. Now, during the school year, you mentioned you have the after-school programming. For parents that are working when the kids get out of school, what kind of transportation options do you have for kids who attend a CCSD school and need to get to a boys and girls club?
2: Yeah, so with the boys and girls club, our transportation is actually included in our rate. And so right now, which has been so great, is that actually we're having the summer acceleration program, which is Kids that are attending CCSD are going to be able to get bused into our clubhouses during the summer. And then we'll have the same during the school year. And if not, for the most part, all of our clubs provide transportation to pick up our kids to get them in the building.
1: Wow. Okay. It's Such a great program. It sounds like you've got a lot of great programming going on, a lot of great things they can learn, they can do, and it's all so cost effective. So how do parents sign up their kids for the summer program or find out more about the Boys and Girls Clubs in general?
2: Yeah. So all you have to do is there are multiple options, right? So you can go on our website, which is bgcsmv.org. So that's Boys and Girls Clubs of Southern Nevada.org. Um, It's going to give parents the option to find a club. It'll have a map located for you to establish, hey, which club is nearest to my child's school or, you know, my house. And then you can sign up for there. You can also call any of the Boys and Girls Clubs phone numbers that are super accessible online or you can go in. And we'll be able to get anyone signed up. So we have kiosks available at each location for everyone to sign up right then and there.
1: Nice. Okay. So once again, the website is bgcsnv.org. It stands for Boys and Girls Club Southern Nevada. So bgcsnv.org. You can find all the locations of the 13 clubs around the valley. And you can either sign up online or go into the closest club or the club that you want to go to because I find they do have different personalities from club to club. Oh,
2: absolutely. So each of our clubs have their own culture, I think, which is great, because, you know, each club is going to come with its own culture, really based around their staff, the clubhouse director, but no matter what, we are offering all of the same programming, and we're offering the same experience throughout our clubhouses.
1: Perfect. So once again, the website is bgcsnv.org. You can find out all locations, you can find the phone numbers, you can give them a call, you can go in and visit, take a tour of the club and everything is right there. The summer program is running from May 23rd to August 4th, Monday through Friday, every week from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and they have kids programming as well as teen programming. So the kids are 6 to 12, and the teens are 13 to 18, and once again, the website bgcsnv.org. And Alina, I want to thank you so much for being here and sharing with us what's going on for the summer. I love the Boys and Girls Clubs, and I love them even more now listening to you explain it to me again, because it's been a few years since my son has been there, and it just sounds fantastic. So thank you so much. I really appreciate your time.
2: Yeah, no problem, Heather. I appreciate it.
4: Every child deserves good vision to be able to read, learn, or kick a ball. Each day a child can't see, they fall behind. Together we can change that. I Care for Kids is the solution. In the past 21 years, we've helped over half a million underserved children with vision screenings, exams, and eyeglasses. Your contribution today can provide the gift of sight for a child tomorrow in Las Vegas. Donate now at eyecare4kids.org.
0: When I was younger, I may have did some stupid things, even committed some crimes, but I am not a criminal. I work for youth advocate programs, YAP. I was Tamani's advocate,
5: helping him stay out of jail, stay in the neighborhood, and get a job.
6: As a little kid, I experienced trauma and I acted out. Made some mistakes, but I'm not a mistake. As Jalen's YAP advocate, I'm
4: always here for her. YAP is
6: a community-based alternative to youth incarceration
7: and neighborhood violence. Youth advocate programs. Learn how at YAPinc.org.
1: You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vale and I'm speaking with Matt Gramada, Head of Family, Student and Starter Banking Business for Chase. As kids are graduating and earning their own money, they need to know how to properly manage their finances by setting good habits and goals. Matt, thank you so much for being here today.
6: Thanks so much for having us.
1: So what should every kid know about finances before they go out on their own?
6: Well, I think it. what a great time to have this conversation because summer's coming. This may be the first time that they're getting their own source of income. And if they're an older kid, they're used to this, but there are kind of three easy basics to make these kinds of conversations part of the norm. And while I'm saying that, I should say, it is never too early. Frankly, it's also never too late to start these conversations with your kids or for kids in your life. So number one is helping them understand the difference between wants and needs. So important, even for younger kids, needs, those things we have to spend the money on and wants, oh, that thing you really want, it opens the conversation to planning ahead, which gets the second big tool, which is budgeting, even basic budgeting, planning ahead for a bike, you know, a video game or whatever, helps build kids' confidence and starts the conversation between you and the child or even an older kid about what are they saving for? How are they making progress? Gives you an opportunity to check in. And then third, show, don't tell, right? It is so much easier to have kids learn by doing, and they learn best that way. So if they have some money coming in, it gives them a chance to practice, to spend mindfully, to start a savings habit. And if they don't yet, maybe you could help them through the summer, find a way to make a little bit of money, or maybe you can afford a, a small allowance. Even those things can help them learn by doing.
1: Nice. Okay. And what does setting financial goals look like at different ages? Because, you know, when the kid's 10 or the kid's 16 or the kid's about to graduate from high school, it's probably going to look a little bit different.
6: Absolutely. Absolutely. And frankly, even within those age groups, it probably can differ between kids. We hear that a lot from parents. So really there are two separate things to think about, which is what's right for your kid and at that life stage, and then what are some universal basics? And we've talked about some of those, right? The basics around wants versus needs, saving regularly, spending mindfully. Let's go back to that saving regularly piece because that's where I think it makes it real what a 10-year-old might be saving for and how they think about it versus a 16-year-old versus someone who is about to or just became independent, So thinking about what they need, what they want, having that conversation with your kid is a great place to start. If they're older, they may not know. So starting with a conversation around, hey, what are your needs at this age? How do we talk about that? How do we figure that out together? And then how do we plan for it? I want to get back to saving real quick because the most important thing in all this is having a regular savings habit. How do they develop whether they're getting allowance, whether they're getting money from mowing a lawn or babysitting or whatever, How do they start, even money from grandma, putting that money aside so that it's it's like building muscle like anything else they do, right? Getting into that savings habit can make all the difference whether they're 10, 16, or just out of the house.
1: Okay. Now, when we were kids, it was take your money from grandma down to the bank and put it in the bank and you'd get a passbook where everything Mm -hmm. was there and you'd be earning interest because it's in a savings account. Now, savings accounts, obviously, there's high interest savings accounts and then standard savings accounts. So it's not always easy to save with a savings account necessarily. But what kinds of tools and resources and account types do you recommend for kids as they grow?
6: Sure. And from talking to parents, we have learned that the most important thing is having the right account with the right kind of tools for your child. Mm -hmm. So in so doing, we we learned that there's a real opportunity for younger kids. So at Chase, we created an account called Chase First Banking. It was built for kids, say, 6 to 13, and it allows kids to have a debit card, but the parents control all of it. They control how much the kid can spend, where the kid can spend. They can even get their allowance or capture chores and get paid for chores right there. And it's all through the Chase mobile app. So parents don't need to worry about having to go to yet another digital app, yet another tool. It's all in the same place, and they can manage it there. Parents get control, kids get independence. As they get a little older, it's important that they get an account that becomes the financial foundation for their lives. So we have high school checking and college checking built for kids and then, of course, young adults to have that first account with no monthly service fee. And those accounts come with features such as Zelle, Right, the ability to send money to friends and family all for free, all instant, and they can manage it all in the palm of their hand with the Chase mobile app.
1: Okay, nice. Now, hopefully, we've done a good job with the kids before they head out on their own, but just in case we've got some parents listening whose students are graduating high school, graduating college, heading out on their own into the world. What advice do you have for those people just to make sure that, well, for the parents to know that their kids are well taken care of on their own and financially savvy, know what to do, and if the student happens to be listening, some tips that they could use themselves?
6: Absolutely. So I would say for for our parents out there, I think a lot of us feel it, these conversations are hard because we might not all have learned sort of, quote, the right way to do things. And so we don't have all the answers. And we've been hearing this from parents. So Chase put together some resources that are great for parents. They're great for kids. And they're available to anyone. You do not have to be our customer. You can find them at chase.com slash student. And you can find at that location, you can learn about all the basics. Plus, there are budgeting worksheets there. There are tips on how to improve credit score if you're a kid or you or you're a little older. And there are insights there on how to build savings. You don't have to be an expert to have these conversations.
1: Okay. Now, for kids, it's not necessarily going to be improving their credit score because they might not have a credit score to begin with. That's right.
6: That's right. But you'd be surprised. I, when we speak to, say, 18, 19, 20-year-olds, wow, these folks at that age now are so much more switched on and knowledgeable than I was at that age. And the question then becomes, well, wait, hang on. I know th- about this thing called a credit score. How do I build it? How do I tend it? How do I make progress on it? And they increasingly have these questions. We should be ready to answer them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, chase.com/slash/student is where you recommend listeners should go if they want to learn more about financial education and how to get ready for life on their own.
6: That's right. And when they're ready to open an account, whether it's for younger kids, for high schoolers, for college students, and even if your kid is not going to college, You can go to chase.com slash student banking.
1: Okay, nice. So chase.com slash student is the website to go to if you want more information, lots of financial education there, how to improve a credit score, all kinds of tools and resources. And if you're ready to open an account and you're interested in some of the different youth-focused accounts that Matt was talking about, go to chase.com slash student banking chase.com slash student banking all right and Matt I want to thank you so much for being here and and sharing some tips and strategies and some resources that the listeners can use and hopefully all these graduates are heading out into the world with a lot of great financial information under their belt so that they can do well in in the real world so I really appreciate your time Matt thank you so much
4: thanks so much for having us Heather When students struggle in school because they are hungry.
8: Or fall behind because they lack school supplies or clean clothing.
4: Being greeted at the start of every school day by the smile of a caring adult can make all the difference.
8: Especially someone from the community.
4: Someone who knows firsthand the obstacles students might be facing.
8: And what it will take to help them thrive.
4: At Communities in Schools, our site coordinators surround students with a community of support and remain by their side.
8: To ensure that they have everything they need to engage in learning.
4: And succeed in school and in life.
8: Access to technology, learning materials.
4: And even one-to-one mentor support.
8: We are there for them, all day, every day. This is what Communities in Schools is all about.
4: Going all in for kids, in schools, in communities, and beyond.
8: To learn more, visit communitiesinschools.org. That's communitiesinschools.org.
1: You're listening to the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. I'm Heather Vail, and I'm speaking with Denise Fort, President and CEO of the Education Trust. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and the Ed Trust is promoting the importance of fostering students' social, emotional, and academic development, or SEED. Denise, thank you so much for being here today.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: So for those who aren't familiar, what exactly is the Education Trust?
3: The Education Trust is a national advocacy organization. We work with communities across the country to help them narrow the opportunity gaps that students of color and students from low-income communities face when it comes to education.
1: Okay. And being Mental Health Awareness Month, what is the current state of student mental health across the country?
3: Well, the state of mental health across the country for students is not great. In fact, in Nevada, I understand that you rank last of all the states, which is a real problem. And we've seen post the pandemic that the rates are not getting any better. In fact, we've learned that uh, suicide rates are going up. In fact, One in five students has seriously considered suicide, and one in 10 has attempted suicide. So that's not good. As well as things such as cyberbullying and other types of bullying, our students need support.
1: What does that mean exactly when you say Nevada ranks last? What are we measuring and why is it so low?
3: We're measuring youth prevalence of mental illness as well as access to mental health services. And several of the reasons why it could be so low is the lack of support for students' well-being in school. One of the things that we're calling for is that more students have access to relationships with adults, with folks in the school that they can talk to before conflicts arise, before trouble arises, so that they can feel supported.
1: Okay. Now, you mentioned some stats that are pretty alarming, one in 10 students considering suicide. What has contributed to these types of numbers? It seems like things are just getting worse.
3: A lot of that can be attributed to the pandemic. Kids have still not returned to school. We still have a really high chronic absentee rate for students. Some students have not returned to school at all. Cyberbullying is on the rise as well. There are all kinds of things that are going on in schools and outside of schools that are contributing to students' mental health challenges. And what we'd like to see is instead of states calling for more police and more metal detectors, that we do something that actually works, that actually makes students feel more safe.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What kind of federal funding is in place to help with this kind of initiative?
3: Well, it's really great that the federal government has invested a significant amount of dollars for schools to help them reopen. And some of those dollars can be used to support students' mental health and teachers' mental health as well. And we think that's an effective use of dollars. And more recently, nearly $200 million was invested for mental health supports directly. So those types of funds are available and should be used on effective ways to support students' mental health.
1: Okay, and then what about on the state level? Since we're talking about how the various states rank, is there state-level funding available as well?
3: Some states are doing a good job with investing in mental health. Pennsylvania is one of them. However, most states have to make different choices about what they're going to invest in and mental health services, as we can tell from some states that rank in the lowest 10, many of those states are in the South, that they're not providing access to mental health care, which means they're not prioritizing mental health care with their state fundings.
1: Okay, so when we're talking about social, emotional, and academic development where does the balance lie? So if they're not focusing on mental health, are they focusing on other areas like maybe academic development instead?
3: Well, actually all learning is social emotional learning, really. So it's we don't think there should be a choice. We think that if you're going to support students in the classroom, that you're going to be supporting their social, emotional and academic development all at once, all at the same time. We don't need to have an either-or situation when it comes to students' mental health.
1: Yeah, that would be great if we could just have it all balanced and not put a priority. It seems like some of the states are putting a priority, though, right? Like somehow they're, they're attributing academic development as being more important?
3: Well, I think what we're calling for is to make sure that all learning includes social-emotional learning and supports. And some states are doing a great job of that in terms of making sure that students are well supported, making sure that every student has someone to talk to in the school. And even making sure that some things like making sure that students are more engaged in what they're learning can go a long way towards helping students' mental health.
1: Okay. And who would that fall to? Is that something that teachers could do? Or is it having someone dedicated in the school, like, for example, a guidance counselor or some kind of therapist or counselor that they can talk to? Or what's the ideal scenario for you?
3: Well, the ideal scenario would be To make sure that every student has someone, that someone could be a teacher, that someone could be a school counselor, that someone could be a maintenance worker, that they at least have someone who they can talk to, who they can strike up a relationship with, that makes sure that before conflicts arise, they have someone to talk to. That's the most ideal situation.
1: Yeah, for sure. Now, a lot of parents will be listening to this and, you know, for parents, it seems kind of like this sort of thing is out of our control because we're not in the schools. We're not there to tell them what to do. So, what's the answer? What should parents do or just anyone who's concerned about the situation? What can we do to make it better?
3: That's such a great question. I'm a parent. I have two young boys in school. And sometimes schools don't make parents feel included. They don't feel welcome. But we are suggesting that parents do become more involved in school. Parents can become that adult for other students, if necessary, by volunteering in schools where possible. But we do think parents have a strong role in the schools, and that makes schools better themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so where can listeners go to learn more about the Education Trust and your various studies and findings and maybe even what they can do to help make a difference?
3: We have a number of resources on edtrust.org slash mental health that folks can find resources on how your state is ranking to things that you should call for at the state level or at the school level to make sure that all students have the right mental health supports for them.
1: Perfect. Okay. So edtrust.org slash mental health is the website to go to edtrust.org slash mental health. You can find resources there. You can look at how we rank as we heard Nevada ranks last. So you can look at the data and see why that is and see what you can do to help out at the state level and the school level. So edtrust.org slash mental health. And Denise, I want to thank you so much for being here and bringing this to our awareness and letting us know what is happening and what can be done about it. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm Don Rooney from Rascal Flats, and I absolutely love being a part of this band. It's an honor and really a lot of fun. Sometimes, though, you can feel the pressure to perform night after night. It can get stressful. Thankfully,
1: I know my bandmates will look out for me, and I'll look out for them. When you see a friend feeling the effects of stress, let them know you're there for them. Sometimes that's all they need. This message is brought to you by the US Air Force.
2: My name is Corporal Bradley Joseph Seitz. Jerry Reed.
8: Kate Weber.
9: These are real veterans facing a real challenge. I have PTSD.
6: And I have PTSD. I have
9: PTSD. Post-traumatic stress disorder can happen to anyone.
6: I was still in a war zone in my mind.
9: But treatment can turn your life around. Treatment has really saved my life. To learn about PTSD and how treatment can help you, call your local VA Medical Center or visit ptsd.va.gov.
1: I'm Heather Vale, and this is the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show. Joining me is Dr. Christopher Loftus, National Director of VA-DOD Mental Health Collaboration in the Office of Mental Health and Suicide Prevention. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, or VA, is encouraging veterans to take care of their mental health through the Today I Am campaign. Dr. Loftus, thank you so much for being here today.
9: Good morning, Heather. Thank you for having me.
1: So, how prevalent is depression and suicide among veterans?
9: It's fairly common, as along with PTSD. And and in general, I think veterans, particularly when they're transitioning out of the military, struggle with adapting to civilian life, relationships of change. They're looking for jobs, new careers. Sometimes they don't have health care. So in general, it's a difficult time. And that's why the Today I Am campaign is focusing not just on mental health treatment, but helping veterans to live a more forward, productive life. So we're not just talking about the need for mental health treatment for depression or PTSD, for example, but we're also encouraging veterans who just feel like they're not living their best life to reach out and seek help and, and listen to some of the veterans that are talking about some of the struggles that they went through on the make the connection.net site. That's where the today I am campaign is housed at make the connection.net where we have veterans from all kinds of different backgrounds talking about their mental health journey when they got out of the military.
1: Okay, so what are some of the stories that would encourage veterans to take care of their mental health and quality of life through the Today I Am campaign?
9: Yeah, the Today I Am campaign features veterans from all walks of life, all service areas, all service branches, talking about the struggles that they went through, and it could be things like struggling with depression and PTSD, or it could be struggling with sleep, relationship issues, not feeling like their career is going where they want to go. So they're talking about how they came aware of it. And in some cases, we have family members, spouses, and children talking about what they experienced as well. And then they're talking about how they got help. And for a lot of veterans, that's just reaching out and reconnecting, reconnecting with family, reconnecting with other veterans, and taking that first step towards seeking help. And then for more other veterans, you know, they're finding ways of exploring their interest more through recreational therapy. And then for those who are really struggling with a mental health condition, of course, they can reach out to the VA, the local health care provider. But seek help is the main purpose of this campaign is to encourage veterans not to sit home alone and suffer, to seek help.
1: Okay, perfect. Now, if we notice signs associated with a mental health condition or just a different quality of life than we noticed before in a loved one who happens to be a veteran, what's the best way to support them?
9: Yeah, we just encourage everyone to start the conversation, reach out and let them know that support is available. Sometimes that's not an easy conversation to have. Like sometimes the veteran is not in a place to hear it. But just reaching out is helpful. It lets them start thinking about what they're doing. And then share with them the stories on maketheconnection.net, because for a lot of veterans, they don't know how to talk about what they're going through either. So, listening to the stories of other veterans who, again, you can sort on maketheconnection.net for the branch that they served in, the era that they served in, it's sorted a lot of ways to find veterans who very much speak in their voice. And help them come to talk about what they're struggling with and where they might go to get help.
1: Okay. And if a veteran watches the stories on maketheconnection.net dot net and they feel like they need more help, what should they do if they're facing a mental health challenge and they want to reach out but they're not sure where to turn?
9: So, for anyone who's experienced a mental health crisis and they really feel like they need help immediately call the Veterans Crisis Line at 988 and then press 1 or send a text to 838255. Again, that was 988 if you're calling and then press 1 for the Veterans Crisis Line or send a text to 838255. And they'll be able to help veterans who are in crisis but also family members who are worried about a veteran. And even sometimes they'll be able to help you figure out where to go if you're just not able to get connected to services but I think the more helpful if you're just looking for where to go for help is there's a resource locator on MakeTheConnection.net where veterans and their family members can put in the types of services or the types of disorders or the types of things they're looking for help with. And they'll be able to find local services, not just with the VA, but also with local veteran service organizations and community providers in their local area.
1: Okay, so the crisis line was 988, and then press 1 for the vet crisis line. And then the text you mentioned was 838255? Correct, yeah. Okay, and that will put them in touch with a crisis counselor?
9: Correct, yes. That'll put them in touch with the veterans crisis line at the VA.
1: Okay, perfect. Perfect. So you mentioned MakeTheConnection.net a few times. Is that the best place for listeners to learn more or to help make a difference in the lives of veterans during Mental Health Awareness Month?
9: Well, I, we talked about it a couple of times. Seeking help is the first step towards recovery. So starting that conversation with a veteran and letting them know, focusing on the positives that are possible with support, is really a helpful first step. Just getting the veteran to talk about what they're going through. And the stories that make the connection.net are just so inspiring that they can really motivate a veteran who is just struggling with what to do next to get some ideas about what might work for them.
1: Okay, perfect. So, maketheconnection.net is the website to go to, maketheconnection.net. You can see lots of stories there from veterans who have suffered through mental health issues or just dealing with life after serving in the military. There's also resources there where you can reach out to find help. And if you're a vet in crisis, please call 988 and press 1 for the Vet Crisis Line, or you can send a text to 838 that's 838 And again, the website is maketheconnection.net. And Dr. Loftus, I want to thank you so much for being here and raising awareness for this very important issue and giving us some resources and some tips on how to deal with it. So I really appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you.
9: Thank you for having me.
5: Are you looking for more in this world? Are you ready for something bigger? Then we are looking for you, the big-hearted, the bold, the messy and the gutsy? The teachers, the growers, the builders, the skilled, the sharers, the change makers. We need you. We are the Peace Corps. In more than 60 countries, we go all in and all out. We are volunteers, partners, communities, working together, living together, bringing our experience, passion, and joy to building a better world together. From tackling climate change in Mexico to keeping kids healthy in Kenya, from sustainable farming in the Philippines to education in Kosovo, we learn more, give more, share freely, and serve boldly. Are you ready to tackle the tough stuff, to go the distance to make a difference? Then we have a place where you belong. Join us at PeaceCorps.gov.
10: Talk has the power to save lives. This is Odyssey's I'm Listening, our commitment to inspire more conversations about mental health. I'm David O'Leary. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. Dr. Dorian Marshall, who is the Vice President of Mission Engagement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Doreen, one doesn't have to be living with mental illness or have mental illness issues to really be concerned about their mental health, right? Self-care is important to all of us, isn't it?
7: Yeah, we all have mental health just like we have physical health. So we want people to be thinking about their mental health, prioritizing it, and you know, taking some proactive steps to take care of it. I
10: think the last couple of years has shown us many things, but one of them is that we can maybe we talk a little more openly about our, our mental health, whether it's just anxiety, low-level anxiety, or more, uh, more significant issues in, in, in terms of the pandemic. That sort of opened the door for many people to talk about mental health in a way that they hadn't um, before. And that's not a bad thing, is it?
7: No, in fact, during the pandemic, we saw kind of a a real proactive attempt by a lot of mental health organizations, including AFSP, to push out proactive mental health messaging, you know, really encouraging people to take some extra steps around self-care, around seeking support. So it's a good thing. It was actually one of the positive outcomes of the pandemic that we're talking more about mental health.
10: Are there specific populations that are more at risk, may not be the right term, but but that just have more mental health issues or that we're realizing now have more mental health issues. I think I've I've heard information that there's some of the younger demographics, some of the older male demographics in this country. Can you talk a little bit about populations that are struggling that we didn't know were struggling?
7: What most people don't realize is that we tend to lose older adults and middle-aged men um, in terms of suicide but that's not the whole story. Um, so while those are two populations we spend a lot of time on because of the numbers we lose uh, to suicide, we're also concerned about our younger people. Um, we did see some uh, surveying that happened during the pandemic that showed that young folks were struggling. And you know what it tells us is that's an opportunity to get ahead of it to go upstream, as we like to say in the field, and start addressing their mental health now so that later in their lifespan, this doesn't continue to be a concern for them. It
10: seems in general, and and this is probably a generational thing, but, but that the younger generation is much more open and aware uh, and willing to talk about mental health in a way that perhaps people of an older generation we're not or, or are not. We're getting better, but we still have a long way to go. Is that is that a fair statement that the younger people are a little more open to this kind of conversation?
7: Yeah, I mean, I think we see that, you know, there's evidence of that in social media. We see the number of um, just kind of conversations in real time, but also the proactive messaging. You know, they're sharing things. That are going viral about mental health on social media, and a lot of that is shared by younger people. I, I think the other piece, though, is that, They're also more likely to admit when they're struggling around their mental health. And so while we're seeing some increased reports, particularly in uh, teenage girls of reporting more uh, mental health distress, we also know this is a generation that is speaking out more about their mental health. Mm -hmm. So it's so probably both things are true. There probably is more distress, but there's probably also more of a willingness in this generation to say, hey, I am struggling.
10: Social media can also be a big help in, in as you, as you noted, sort of making people aware and spreading the the word that it's okay to talk about this kind of su- this kind of stuff. So social media can kind of play both sides of it here a little bit.
7: A hundred percent. You know, I mean, we've seen some amazing social media campaigns that have really been pro-help. Um, you know, encouraging people to reach out, to support, even giving them tools to do it on the mm-hmm. different platforms. You know, so it is, you know, it is both and I think. The other thing that we don't know is this kind of correlation versus causation um, thing, which basically is we don't know if that when people are feeling down, they're more likely to gravitate toward online platforms versus in-person interactions, um, you know, versus thinking of this as something like where social media is actually causing distress. We don't know if that's the case or if if it's more likely that young girls are gravitating toward social media when they feel down or when they feel depressed.
10: Mm. Doreen, the survey that you spoke of, the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, um, it, it's a look back, I understand. Is it is it something that's done every year? Is it every couple of years? How frequently is that data gathered uh, done, and analyzed?
7: Yeah, it's done every two years, typically. Um, so we saw um, between 2019 and 2021, um, it, an increase from 24% to 30% of uh, high school females who said they were seriously considering attempting suicide in the previous year. So it it went up about 6%. Um, So that's something we pay attention to, you know, that, that trend that it's increasing. It may also mean though, that at least in part that they're expressing this more. And during the pandemic, we definitely saw many more messages around um, talking about your mental health. So, Mm -hmm. like I said, it's probably both and, but, um, But the survey is done every two years and it's done um, among high school students. So typically it's done like sophomore or senior year, um, you know, so that it catches uh, every two years, it catches like a group of students.
10: I want to ask you about a couple of other populations that show my understanding is elevated risk for for suicide. And that is uh, the LBGTQ plus community, which I think we've known for some time by a factor of – four or five depends on you know which demographic has a much higher risk for suicidal ideation and for and for suicide can you talk a little and and by the way there's all kinds of legislation that's sort of being proposed and in the works that's targeting those in that community do you think that kind of legislation will have an impact on these numbers and 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 can you talk a little bit about those trends among that members of that community
7: Yeah, well, this is something we also learned about um, through the Youth Risk Behavior Survey, um, which surveyed um, LGBTQ youth as part of that um, overall teenage group. And we found in that survey that they're more likely, LGBTQ youth are more likely to experience uh, all forms of violence, and that close to 70% of students experienced persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness during the past year. So that's 70% of the students they surveyed that are also identified as LGBTQ. So, you know, that's something that tells us something about what at least our youth are experiencing. But I think on top of that, what you're saying, David, about, um, you know, it's not the fact that someone identifies as um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, or trans. It's more that as a society, um, we create additional vulnerabilities when we have legislation that's um, excluding a certain group or, or not allowing certain groups to have certain rights. You know, that adds to the stress people experience. It it adds to their ability to connect to support. So I think you're right in that I don't think it's no one thing, but these things are important and they're things we really need to be paying attention to.
10: I should note, if you're listening to this and you're struggling or caring for someone who is struggling, there's an easy way to uh, to, to reach out and we'd encourage you to do that. You can just dial 988 uh, to get connected to care, 988 or seven four one seven four one is the text line that you can access 24 hours a day, uh, seven days a week. I also wanted to ask you about uh, additional Hurdles, And I don't know if this is as much sort of an access to care thing or a cultural thing that those in the minority community face when it comes to accessing care for mental health issues and, and, and resources, suicide prevention resources. Can you talk a little bit about that?
7: Yeah, so um, the other thing I should probably note is that when we look at suicide data in terms of um, who we're losing, we are also seeing um, some populations being more vulnerable. So, for example, um, the Native American, Alaska Native uh, community is is a community that, that has always been one of the highest rates of suicide, if not the highest. And then the other thing we saw in terms of data points was increases. So we certainly saw increases in the African American um, and, and Latin A community that we did not expect in terms of looking at year over year data. So, you know, I think you're right to point out that not all communities have the same access to care, but I think then there's this added piece of what we think of as culturally competent care. Or care that really meets people where they are addresses the needs that they're experiencing mm-hmm. and you know while we've seen great movement in that area we still have a long way to go to bring um, that kind of care to people when they need it
4: right
10: I know AFSP uh, has a, a program that they make available to the community at large it's absolutely free it's called talk saves lives and it's sort of a, a one hour overview, a general, very general overview about how to talk about mental health safely and productively and in a healthful way and warning signs and, uh, and, and prevention signs and whatnot for suicide. And I know that in the last couple of years, AFSP and others in this space have sort of modified those for specific communities, the LBGTQ plus community, uh, at work modules, maybe those who own firearms, just so that, as you say, we're meeting people where they are. I have volunteered in this sort of space for a number of years with different organizations. And whenever somebody finds out that you're, you know, volunteering with an organization that's preventing suicide or a mental health organization, and I'm curious if this kind of thing happens to you, it's, oh, you know, you're in that, you're in that line of work. Um, I bet the last couple of years with the pandemic, it's been really bad, hasn't it? And if you, if we look back at the last couple of years, it's, it's kind of mixed, isn't it? It's, it, it wasn't Quite, we didn't see the rise in suicide that many people would sort of assume that we did.
7: Yeah, and, and that's the hopeful good news here is that um, while a lot of people thought that the rates would skyrocket during the pandemic, we actually didn't see that happen at all. In fact, during the first year of the pandemic, we saw the the rates continue a downward trend and it really wasn't until the last year that we have data, um, 2021, that we saw kind of a, a back uptick. And it, w- it was a um, just around 4% uptick. So, mm-hmm. you know, when we think about um, just kind of the way the pandemic affected us as a society as a whole, but also that people had different experiences of the pandemic and... We expected it to be worse, Um, you know, and I think a lot of organizations were really trying to get ahead of that with with messaging, with making sure helplines were accessible. Um, And and to some degree, it seems like that may have worked or that may have had a positive impact because it did not go up the way many people thought it would. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're right, David, a, a lot of people say that to me, too. Oh, you know, didn't the rate go up quite a bit during the pandemic? And they're often surprised to hear that it didn't. Yeah. Um, and that it wasn't really until the later part that we saw any increase at all.
10: Hmm. We have a, a minute or two left. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, I, I'm I'm just interested in asking you if you could talk for a moment or two about w- why it is so important to be aware of our mental health and, and to practice self-care and to, and to reach out to others who we think may be struggling. I know sometimes people have a, a problem. I don't know what to say. How do I start that conversation? But that type of outreach is so important if somebody is struggling. Can you talk a little bit about why it's important to make that outreach and why self-care is important as well?
7: Yeah. And I think what many people may not realize is that when someone is struggling with their mental health, um, say they have worsening mental health symptoms or they may even be experiencing a depression that that experience is very isolating. Um, In fact, they may even believe that other people don't wanna hear about it or that they're a burden to other people. And it's why it's really important that those of us that notice things kind of reach out and reach in is the way I think of it, is to um, to not let those things you're noticing, your friend that's acting differently or withdrawing or even talking in ways that they sound very hopeless, To really not be afraid to ask them how they're doing with their mental health and if you're worried about suicide not being afraid to ask them directly um, if they're having thoughts of suicide Uh, you won't put the thought in their head in fact they're more likely to feel heard and to feel that somebody recognizes the emotional pain that they're in so you know it's really important that we look out for each other and that if we're if we ourselves are struggling that we not be afraid to do what we do if we had a sore ankle or, or sore back, right? To go to a doctor, to go to a mental health professional and say, hey, I'm not feeling right um, and I'm wondering if, if I can get some help for this. Mm.
10: Really, really well said. Dr. Doreen Marshall is the Vice President of Mission Engagement for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They work to save lives and to bring hope to those impacted by suicide. You can find out more about AFSP at afsp.org. And again, if you're struggling or caring for someone who is struggling, please dial 988 to get connected to CARE. Great to spend time with you, Doreen. Always great to spend time with you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today. We appreciate it.
7: Thanks, David.
0: To learn more about the resources provided by the American Foundation for Suicide
10: Prevention, please visit AFSP.org. That's AFSP.org. And if you or someone you know is in crisis and would like to talk or text with someone who can help, please call or text 988. Please remember, you are not alone, and talk saves lives. Thank you for joining Odyssey's I'm Listening for this meaningful mental health conversation. For more, visit imlistening.org.
1: I'm Heather Vale with the Odyssey Las Vegas Public Affairs Show, and this is your community events calendar for nonprofit initiatives and charity events around the Valley. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, or VA, is encouraging veterans to take care of their mental health through the Today I Am campaign. Find out more or access resources and support at maketheconnection.net. That's maketheconnection.net. Also for Mental Health Awareness Month, the Titan Brands Hospitality Group is donating 15% of all Drink of the Month and Dessert proceeds to the Alternative Peer Group to help local teens with addiction issues. That's at both Songs locations, Boca Park or Mandalay Place, and a Slice of Vegas, also at Mandalay Place. Find out more about the Alternative Peer Group or make a donation at apglv.org. That's apglv.org. Monday's Dark with Mark Chinook is a bi monthly musical fundraising party at The Space, with each event raising $10,000 for a specific charity in 90 minutes. Upcoming shows include this Monday, May 22nd at 8 p.m., benefiting the Foundation for Recovery, and Monday, June 5th at 8 p.m., benefiting the National Association of Women in Construction. Get tickets or find out more details at mondaysdark.com. That's mondaysdark.com. AARP is holding its first Benefits Badass contest. You could win $50,000 for submitting a two-minute video telling how you make use of your AARP benefits. And by the way, you don't have to be 50 or older to join. Upload your video by May 29th at aarpbenefitsbadass.org. That's aarpbenefitsbadass.org. Three Square's Bag Childhood Hunger Campaign is doubling its impact thanks to matching sponsors through May 31st. For every dollar donated, Three Square can now provide up to six wholesome nutritious meals to Southern Nevada children and families in need. Find out more or make a donation at threesquare.org. That's threesquare.org. Communities and Schools of Nevada is holding its annual graduation campaign through mid-June to support graduating high school seniors. Donations of any amount will help ensure Nevada students have the resources they need to graduate successfully. You can donate or find out more at cisnevada.org/graduate. That's cisnevada.org/graduate and Chef Pete Gioni's running his Cooking for a Cure fundraising campaign with a goal of raising $100,000 over 10 weeks to support the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. You can donate at the various partner restaurants or directly through his website until June 10th. Find out more, learn about healthy eating for cancer patients, see the list of participating restaurants, or make a donation at cookingforacure.com. That's cookingforacure.com.